We're going to bumper that, Colin. Welcome to Word After Word, a podcast on writing. I'm Paul Matthew Carr. I provide 50% of your required hosting duties. The other half, as always, comes from the one, the only, the professor, Dr. David Hicks. Hi, Paul. Uh, On the program today, we have a very special guest. She is a novelist and a short story writer, the winner of numerous awards and honors. Her books include Paris, He Said, and most recently, a collection of stories, The Virginity of Famous Men. Please welcome Christine Sneed. Paul. Hi, David. Hi, Christine. Thanks for having me Great today. to have you here. Thanks for coming. Yeah, thank yeah, you for being here. My pleasure. Now, the primary focus of this program is the craft and process of writing, uh, the idea being that getting to know the methods and habits other authors employ can enhance and inform one's own habits. And if you're like me, it'll actually get you to start thinking about starting a process and building habits, because mm-hmm. I don't have any right now. <laughs> <laughs> but before we get into specifics, I want to know a little bit more about you. So can you tell us if you're working on anything right now, or is there anything you'd like to share? Sure. I um, Well, I recently finished a new novel, um, and I redrafted it a few times uh, because uh, my publisher is interested, but they wanted some changes before they were willing to have everyone in-house read it. So they now have it at this very moment. It's been there for about a week or so, and so I'm waiting to hear from them about that, but... You know, it's, I wrote it and drafted, redrafted it several times in a pretty quick period of time. It was over a period of about seven months, mm-hmm. so I'm tired. <laughs> but uh, I, I've been writing short stories, too, lately, um, a couple new ones that I wrote this fall when I was waiting for my editor to read the other drafts, um, and I just needed to do something less overwhelming because, you know, a novel is it's a big project, you know, and you spend a lot of time... In the, at the desk, but also just in your head with the characters, and it's tiring. So it's also exciting. Um, so that's what I'm working on, just yeah. some short pieces right now. What is that process like, doing the, the redrafts and getting notes from the publisher and so forth? I've heard some horror stories from other authors. You know, it's I really like my editor at Bloomsbury a lot, and she has a really good sense of what it interests me most as a writer, but we've worked together already on three books. Um, my novel Paris, he said, and then before that Little Known Facts, and then um, the new story collection. The three, Those three books we've edited together, so or I've written with her, and I mean, not that she helped me write them, but <laughs> she she definitely, actually, no, Little, known, yeah, little yeah. known Facts and The Virginity of Famous Men, we we didn't, I didn't do a lot of drafts at all, but Paris, he said, I did seven drafts, so mm-hmm. it was a lot of work, and Nancy was very involved uh, so she she gives good feedback. She's very respectful. She also has faith in my own choices. So if I have a problem with something and I want to ask her input, I can. Or if I don't agree with a suggestion, she's you know she's not mad at me if I say I don't agree or you know. But it okay. is interesting because you really have to trust yourself. I think like I think sometimes that I'm easily led. You know, I'll be like, oh, Nancy knows what she's doing. Okay, I'll do what she says. Mm-hmm. But sometimes I realize like, well. I have to think about this more. You know, I, I think it's... Some writers are very confident with their choices, right. and they're like, I know this book has to be this way, or this story has to be this way. And so if they get they get feedback, that, and they disagree with it, they're very clear about what, how they're going to use that feedback or not. So 
I'm more malleable, maybe. I don't know. No, I, I, I tend to be like that, too. If someone suggests something, I just do it thinking they know better. And then <laughs> later I think, well, what did I just do? That's not, that's not the story. It's hard to know. I mean, you really have yeah. to... But I also think like, oh, I can make it work. Yeah, yeah. right. You know well, that that's yeah. my impulse too. I'm like, oh, I can work with that. I can figure it out. Right. Well, that's why that's why it's good to have a good relationship with yeah. the editor. So it's it's especially interesting to talk to you at this time in your writing life because you just cranked out. I mean, you just you had Paris. He said it was like last year, right? Or yeah, t- May 2015. Right. Okay, yeah. 2015. Yeah. And then this collection of stories, which I. Which I presume you've, you've been writing for years and publishing. Yeah, so most of the stories I'd written before I wrote Paris, he said. So while you're working on a, uh, this new book, you're also dealing with, or, I mean, happily, with the release of Virginity of Famous Men mm-hmm. and the ongoing promotion, of, really, of, of Paris, he said, which did well, it seems to me. So you got Paris, he said, you've got the, Virgin- you've got the story collection while you're working on this new book. Mm-hmm. So how do you stick to it? Like, uh, what, how do you stick to the working on the new book while there's all these businessy kind of things going on and promotion? Well, one thing. thing that I've that has really spurred me on is Paris. He said, and the virginity of famous men sold together back in July of 2013. So uh, it's been like almost four years, I or see. it will be four years since I've sold anything. I see. And I have written other manuscripts. You know, I wrote yeah. another novel that. Nancy, part of a novel that Nancy was interested in, but in-house support was unfortunately not forthcoming. So that book, I actually did end up finishing it, but mm-hmm. I, we haven't. My, my agent and I haven't done anything with mm-hmm. it. So that novel is just sitting, waiting to be rewritten. Probably, I'll probably revise it before. If we, I hope we go out with it at some point. But it's. I mean, the main thing that motivates me is just I want to have another book under contract because right. I, I want the advance, right. and then also I just want to have something coming out. You right. know, it's really for me. I mean, people are like, "Oh, wait for inspiration to strike." I'm like, I actually need to earn a living, and and right. a lot of my living does come from my my books. You know, so because I teach here and I teach part time at Northwestern, but it's not like a full time gig. So writing is really my full time gig. Even though I feel like I'm doing a bunch of, you know, I do community teaching at the libraries in the Chicago area occasionally, and then I teach for a couple of little um, writing studios. And Ragdale, I'm going to be teaching a workshop in this June, and then maybe one in July. Mm-hmm. So, you know, there's just, I have a lot. I'm, you know, like they say, you wear a lot of hats. Right. Well, I'm glad you actually described that because I think a lot of uh, beginning writers or potential writers wonder if you can make a living you can. writing. You have to work hard. Have to I work mean, really it's seven hard. days a week. I yeah. mean, I really don't. I mean, I do take time off, and I have an unconventional schedule because I'm not in the office nine to five. Mm-hmm. But I definitely work on weekends, right. and I work at night sometimes too. Even mm-hmm. if I've been working all day, because yeah. that's when I, you know, if I have a lot of stuff I have to do outside of the house, I want to write, so I have to do it at night. Right. Okay. Well, yeah. this actually leads into my next question, which was, what is your typical writing day? I mean, do you have a set schedule that you get up and you like these are the hours I write? Not really. I mean, I do, depending on my teaching schedule, which lately has been pretty light because I had the book out. I didn't want to teach in the fall at Northwestern, so I'm teaching right now here at at Northwestern, but it's only one graduate workshop there. Mm -hmm. And I also direct, I'm the faculty director for that program, but that's mostly stuff that I do at home, so, or I have to go do admission sessions. But I I tend to write, like, probably around 11 a.m. until about 2 or 3 p.m., Mm-hmm. When I um, probably pretty often like four days a week, 
Or I might write 1 p.m. to 4 p.m. But sometimes I write from 1 p.m. to 2 p.m. I mean, it's I don't I just try to do some writing every day, especially when I was working on the novel um, manuscript that's under consideration right now. That was mostly written over the summer when I wasn't teaching. And I put in like eight or nine or 10 hour days on that to just get the first draft out. I was trying to write a thousand to two thousand words a day so I could get the manuscript at least in, and the first draft was 75,000 words this final draft is over 100,000 mm-hmm. but just barely so it's it's grown <laughs> with each mm-hmm. draft which I didn't expect actually I didn't know it would but I tend to get I try to write for at least an hour or two five or six days a week but I also try not to beat myself up if I can't do it mm-hmm. okay. no, I think that's key is to not feel bad that you're not you know you can't do everything yeah, a it's little, very easy a to little guilt is good. A little, yeah, because it keeps you like, okay, well, I didn't get this done today, <laughs> yeah. so maybe I won't watch, you know, six episodes exactly. of Breaking Bad, but right. you know, <laughs> yeah, you feel bad you didn't get to your writing, so it motivates you to get to your writing. I, I wanted to ask about the the do, does Bloomsbury have first writer refusal? Writer first refusal? They do. So that's why you're sort of we're waiting, yeah, right, right. and they might turn it down or they right. might not make much of an offer. I mean, yeah. I think that's why my editor's trying to forestall. She doesn't want that to happen. <laughs> she right. wants them to see a pretty much finished book right. and then for them to be like, oh, we're excited about this. But one thing that happens now, I mean, this is Virginia Famous Men was my fourth book. I have a sales track. Right. So you have, you know, they have, they basically assume you're not capable of more than you've already achieved. Mm-hmm. I mean, that's kind of the standard, I think, right. you know, with publishing in New York. Yeah, people say it's harder to get their third or fourth book published than their first because now you've proven that you're not going to be a bestseller or something like that, and they lose faith in you, even though the next book could be the one that is yeah. a bestseller. Really? Yeah. I didn't know that. It's very difficult. I thought once you had your first book, no, and then it just gets easier and easier because you've already proven The opposite. No. No. Yeah. The first and second books, depending on the advance, like for my first book, which was a story collection also, uh, that book won the Grace Paley Prize that is an mm-hmm. annual prize that AWP awards for a collection. So it was one of the things that happen when you win that, or one of the things that happens is you get published by the University of Massachusetts Press. And and so that was how I published my first book. And then Bloomsbury reissued it in paper when they, so then they published my second book. But that first book, because it was with a small press, you know, and then you write a novel, and they like your novel in New York, and they buy it, they're not really that concerned about your sales track because you did not get an advance for that book. You, I got a small, you know, a few thousand bucks for the prize. You know, that's not mm-hmm. bad, but it's, you know, okay. like a New York advance, you want more than $4,000 if possible. <laughs> so, and it got reviewed in a lot of places, and it was, and actually this publicist friend of mine, Cheryl Johnston, is one of the main reasons why the book did get attention and probably why I sold my second book because she put the first book in the hands of a lot of critics, and some of them reviewed it, and they liked it. Wasn't the front page of the New York Times book review? The second book, second Little book Known was, Facts, Little was, was yeah. yeah. I remember seeing that. They, and, you know, I think one reason why the New York Times book review editors reviewed Little Known Facts was because maybe they'd read my first book. They didn't review it, but they'd heard about it, mm-hmm. and potentially, and then that was, you know, and then it was really fun. And, and I think even though Little Known Facts didn't sell a huge number of copies, because it got all that attention, they bought my second, my third and fourth book, Paris, he said, and The Virginity of Famous Men, which sold together. Mm-hmm. You know, it was a two-book deal for that. Mm-hmm. But, you know, these books, now I have four books, and they're like, okay, well, this is how many copies she can sell, and that's it, you know? Mm-hmm. So they, there there are definitely exceptions to every single rule. 
Um, I don't know what will happen with this fifth book. I hope it sells and I hope it takes off, but there's so many factors you just can't predict. Mm -hmm. Well, okay, so you have uh, to get back to your writing day. Mm -hmm. uh, You find the time. Do you just immediately jump into it or do you have a habit to get you in the mood to write? I jump in. You jump in? Because I, I often, like a lot of people, and I've heard a writer whose name is Mary Ukari Waters, who was a short, she's a short, short story writer. She's like, it's like being on a diet. The guilt you feel, like, you know, you're, you're all, it's like your entire life you're on a diet when you're a writer because mm. you're like, oh, I didn't write today, or oh, I ate too much today. You know, it's a mm-hmm. very similar feeling. Mm-hmm. And I think, you know what, I don't, you know, I don't feel like writing every day, but I do it, and then I'm never unhappy that I've done it. It's like going to the gym. Yeah. You don't want to, or go when you go running. <laughs> you know, you're just like, well, I don't feel like exercising. But if you make yourself do it, you're so glad you did. So I just try to focus on the fact that if I don't write, I'm going to feel crappy, and so I better write. Right. And and then usually something happens that I, even if it's yep. just a paragraph, you know, I'm like, this is okay. I like this paragraph. I'm going to keep it. Yeah. Uh, so something I'm always fascinated in is the is the idea of inspiration, and where do ideas come from? So, it, you know, is it spontaneous? Is it cultivated? And so forth. Where do you find inspiration? Do you, are there habits that you have? Are there places you go? You know, I find that other writers, mm-hmm. I just read as much as I mm-hmm. can. Mm-hmm. And I really get a lot of just pleasure from reading minds. I mean, there's, I can't remember who said it, but if you're going to, if you're ever going to progress as a thinker or a writer, you have to read the work by minds, written by minds greater than your own. So I'm always seeking out writers who I just think are brilliant, like W.G. Zebald, who is, who's dead now. He died in 2001. But his books, like Austerlitz and the Emigrants and Rings of Saturn, and he's just it was a genius. And John Updike and Alice Munro and Edward P. Jones and, you know, writers that I really love, I just, they, they inspire me. I think I want to try to do that. You know, I never will do it, but I'm going to try to do it, you know, so that that's one big part of you know, what inspires me. And then also reading uh, Harper's. There's always, <laughs> the writers who write the, for Harper's are yeah. top notch. I yeah. mean, there's not yeah. a bad, right, there's not a bad essay in there. Mm-hmm. And also they have this section at the beginning called readings, and there's these yeah. excerpts from all these places, and they're often very odd and yeah. quirky and just some stuff that I've gotten ideas for sort of off-kilter short stories or postmodern sort of form for mm-hmm. some of my work. And that's those are the main and movies like foreign films especially they've really influenced me I think especially foreign French films because mm. I was a French major in college and I just like the um, just the fact that you know they're they're just very straightforward about human character you mm. know they don't a lot of the best French films are not made in the same way at all that Hollywood films are made yeah they're not so interested in. Uh neat, tidy endings. Not at all. And the way that you're writing is not very interested in neat, tidy I endings. I agree. Yeah. <laughs> Which sometimes Which cool. critics are like, the ending just came abruptly. I'm like, it's like life, you know? We don't get answers. <laughs> yeah. So that's what I'm trying to reflect. Yeah, I like that about your writing. So have you always wanted to be a writer? You know, I think from a pretty early age. Yeah, mm-hmm. probably since junior high. But I also didn't know if I could be. I thought, oh, someone has to tell me that I can do this, you know, you need permission. So that, I think, but yeah, that, that desire's been there for much of my life. Did you meet someone that pushed you in that direction? Yeah, where did the permission come from? You know, from? It, I don't, I think 
maybe it was just from studying abroad. I studied in Strasbourg, France, okay. my junior year, and we had very unstructured year. We had a very unstructured year there. We had to go to classes, but it wasn't anything like American college where you had the same class two or three times a week and you had a lot of papers due and you had a lot of tests. The French are different, and I think a lot of European universities, you just take one test a year, a term or a year. So you're reading a lot and you're attending lectures, but it's not, it was not that rigorous. And so I just spent a lot of time trying to write that year, and I also traveled a lot around Europe. So that was the year that it was kind of like my best education ever was that year, and I just decided that I could try to do this. Have you thought about just, as I have, just living there? I have. Especially, <laughs> just, especially now, with, you know, I do think about it a lot, actually. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yep. You probably want to live in Ireland, right? You want to you live in Ireland, maybe? I'll go to Paris. France, yes. Yeah, nothing wrong with Paris. <laughs> Italy, probably. My, my mother's from Italy, and I, oh. I, I, that's my first love. It's New Zealand for me. feels like actually. home. Where? New, New Zealand? New Zealand for me. Oh. Yeah. I did live there for a year, years, years ago. Oh. I think your listeners would be fascinated to hear about that. Well, I'll tell <laughs> that story at a later date. Uh, <laughs> but, so if you could go back, your younger writing self, what advice would you give that person? <laughs> uh, well, I think I would just say that you have to trust yourself and also forgive yourself because your first draft is probably not going to be your best <laughs> ever. I mean, it, <laughs> I think people feel like it has to be done right away. And so I feel that it's important to remind yourself, like, just write it. And then you can go back. I mean, I think Updike, for John Updike said, half my life is an act of revision. And he wrote 60 books. Yeah. So, I mean, he was not thinking like, okay, i got to write this draft. My next rabbit novel, yeah. then it's done. He, he revised. And I think we just have to remember that. It doesn't have to be perfect. Yeah. Hey, everyone. Paul here. This portion of the recording got cut out only for about a minute or so. But I liked this response and the back and forth uh, that came afterwards. So I wanted to keep it in. But to set it up, the question I asked Christine was, what would you want to be if you were not a writer? And this was her response. And yeah, I'd, or I'd just be able to try to be like a, I'd be like an independently wealthy uh, jet. <laughs> <laughs> is that, that an option like... to just be independently wealthy? <laughs> a, lady, a lady of leisure. And, uh, yeah, well, you'd, I don't know. I think, quarter. yeah, I think I would like a tour guide or maybe own a bookstore. Mm. Yeah, you'd be a good bookstore. <laughs> like, buy this. It's so good. You have to read it. <laughs> yeah, it's hard to say no to Christine. I've thought about that myself. Owning a bookstore was still always time, the back of my mind. It's a, it's, you know, bookstores are generally welcoming places where people right. feel a yeah. sense of you know suspense and also just excitement about yeah. being but, alive. But you're not going to be an independent jet setter owning a bookstore. <laughs> right. <laughs> to that would be right. nice. Yeah. <laughs> okay, last question, and this is the most important question <laughs> of the interview. In the movie about you, which actor, living or dead, would play the role of you? Oh, gosh, that's hard. I don't know. Maybe Lauren Bacall. I don't know. Ooh, Lauren Bacall. That's good. Yeah. Yeah. Nice maybe. call. Yeah. I was thinking maybe Goldie Hawn. Oh, I love her. Yeah. Goldie, yeah. That'd be fun. Yeah, I could see I that. Think you, you're not supposed to answer the question. <laughs> I was just thinking. Hey, don't tell my head. <laughs> no, actually, I was <laughs> trying Lauren to think. McCall, I'm like, who Lauren the heck? McCall. I don't know. But I like I love Goldie Hawn. Yeah, that would be fun. But either yeah. her or Lauren But Lauren Bacall is pretty good, too. Okay, go wrong with that. <laughs> <laughs> she was, yeah, she was. She's no longer alive, is she? I don't know. We probably shouldn't just. I know. I was going to say. She has no idea. We're going to edit this part out. She'll be really angry. She'll be like, excuse me. What do you mean? (laughs) This is Lauren Bacall's favorite podcast. Yeah. Yeah, We've heard. Maybe we'll get her to write it. (laughs) She listens to it all the time. 
Thank you, Christine. Well, Christine Sneed, thank you very much for being here. I uh, appreciate your time, and it was a great conversation. It was very fun to talk to you both. Thank it was you nice so to much. See you, Christine. Thanks for being here. So that was our discussion with Christine Sneed. Again, it was a really lovely time. Sorry about the technical difficulty there near the end, but it was actually just a minute, two minutes at most. And most of that was just me asking a long-winded question, so not much really missed. Now, the entire conversation with Christine was fantastic, but there were two things in particular that I found quite fascinating. First were the nuances of the business side of writing. Now, personally, I currently do not have a contract with a major publishing house, so the ins and outs and the intricacies of how someone navigates that aspect of the writing life was illuminating and a bit intimidating, if I'm honest. It's a subject that I think we're definitely going to need to delve into in later episodes. The second was what Christine said about first drafts and the need for revision. The idea that you're not going to get it perfect the first time. That you have to give yourself the leeway to fail. Now that's something I struggle with quite a bit. That overwhelming desire to get things quote-unquote right the first time. The reality is that it can actually hinder the writing process. You find yourself bogged down in the minutiae, and it stifles the greater story. We have to remember that revisions happen, and as Christine said, it doesn't have to be perfect the first time. It's good advice if you're wise enough to take it. But now, to finish up, there's just a bit of business left, and that is to tell you, you've been listening to Word After Word, a podcast on writing. Word After Word is a Daddy Elk production. We can be found on iTunes, Stitcher, and Google Play. And if you head on over and leave a comment, that would be great, as it really does help us get found. We can also be found online at wordafterwordpodcast.com, where comments can be left on individual episodes. David can be found at david-hicks.com, and I can be found at paulmatthewcar.com. Word After Word, a podcast on writing, is for entertainment purposes only. Okay, next time on Word After Word, we will be talking to a debut novelist who's about to embark on a worldwide book tour. So that'll be exciting. More information on that in the mini-sode coming up in just about a week or so. But until then, another heartfelt thank you to Christine Sneed. And on behalf of David Hicks and myself, Paul Matthew Carr, until we meet again, just keep writing.